Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 311 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have a great conversation with artist, global hobo, our resident cultural critic, JQ. And we talk with JQ about measures of austerity, about colonies of mice and how they might predict what we do as humans as we get closer and more highly concentrated. We talk about whether or not there's a God. We talk about how you know when justice has occurred. We get into so many areas related to these. I think you'll have a nice time listening. JQ on the program today. We have an EWSA titled Cocoon, and we have a piece by Franz Kafka titled The Wall, and also a piece by Francisco Cantu titled Boundary Conditions, and a poem called Success. All of this, of course, as is always the case, is imbued by the energy of several great tunes. So nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 311 of Troubadours and Tours. Blues 
the color is rice. Go straight to hell, boy. 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 Papa son, please take me home. Oh, Papa son, everybody, they wanna go home. So Mama son says. Cocoon. I have built a cocoon for myself with the help of my efforts through alchemy and spiritual philosophy. Though, when I approach the intersection driving the machine that physically propels me smoothly, the light a civil society has positioned there is not changing to the color indicating that I could, should, continue my trek as quickly as I wish. It is sometimes an experience pulsing with periods of impatience when one travels while within their cocoon. I see out the window riding past on a bicycle a black man, I would guess around 30 years of age, looking a bit like provocateur Chappelle, the vigor and clear sense that inequity and injustice are everywhere. But it was early morning, Maybe he hadn't had, and was on his way to get, a coffee. I know it is an important part of my daily alchemic balancing act. There was a white man sitting on a stone wall, smoking a cigarette, blowing into the wind. He had on a Russian fur-trimmed hat. The temperature outside is close to 60 degrees Fahrenheit, but it is still late winter, mid-March. Buildings, Art Deco, Italianate, Victorian, 70s Utilitarian, in the background and surrounding. A blue-gray sky with white cumulus clouds floating. Nirvana on the radio. Hey, wait, I have a new complaint.
JQ, is that you? Yes, it is I. Hello, EW. How are you? I'm I'm uh, fine. I'm fine. It's uh, nice to have you on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Once again, our resident cultural critic. He is an artist. He's uh, he's a global hobo. He's a, he's a man of many different, I guess, ways. And it's, it's always a pleasure to have him on the program. Let's... Uh, Let's ask he's you first. Crazy, he's a crazy hermit living in exile. <laughs> we, we didn't want to the put resume it, is. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't want to put it that way, but you know. Thanks for being honest. Um, yeah, well let's start, you know, just seeing how you're doing. It's been several months easily since we've talked on the program. How's it going in the south of France, JQ? Well, it's it's going wonderfully. That's why I live here. You know, it's a, it's a peaceful out of the way place. I've been uh, working you know, as as with the last few years, I'm I'm working on four albums at the same time in in, in a home studio. So when I you know I, I jokingly say that I'm I'm a hermit, but I, I've sort of become one because of that. Except for the the musicians I'm working with, you know, I have somebody coming in to record Monday. Other than that, it's a very peaceful life. Uh, you know, I, I'm out here with my kids in the French countryside. The food and the drink is marvelous. You can be poor and live quite well still, even today, in France. Uh, for now. Um, and meanwhile, you know, from my, my very cozy perch out here in the, in the countryside, I'm, I'm watching the universe collapse and humanity go insane and tear itself apart. And now, why do you say, now, why do you say that? What, what, what uh, compels you to say that? Um, let's see everything. <laughs> no, I've, I mean, it's, it's been a process that's been going on my whole life. You know, I already thought things were insane back in the 80s or in the 90s when I when I sort of ran away from America. Um, you know, look, over here in France, uh, they're tearing themselves apart. Uh, there's the yellow vests and, and Macron. Uh, you, you guys are dealing with your own issues, the, the polarization of society, uh, the breakdown of dialogue between left and right. Um the European Union crumbling before our eyes because instead of being what it was supposed to be, it became a power play by the banks and multinationals and, you know, stamped and uh, ran crazy uh, over the the democratic process in the independent countries. And so, you know, a revolt has started. And even in extremely wealthy countries like France, they're trying to impose measures of austerity, which is an absurdity on, on its face. And people are not going to stand for it, you know. You can only push the people so far. Um, so, yeah, why do I say that? Why wouldn't I say that? Well, other than that, though, I mean, things are okay, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm doing great, you know. <laughs> Kids are good. Uh, really enjoying my, 
life, but uh, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm, you know, it looks like you know my boss is going to give me a raise. You know, I might be able to get that new car and put that pool in the back, you know, yard and maybe. Just go one to- question. Just one question, old friend. What's what's a boss? What is that? A boss? I don't know. Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> I think it's Bruce Springsteen. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, he's okay. Yeah, I, he's- I, some of his early stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like the boss. <laughs> uh, so. So the the uh, the world is 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 uh, ending, as as we know. I no, I didn't say it's ending. It's tearing itself as, apart. No, I mean as we know it. You know, well, yeah, as we know it, certainly. Yeah, I, I don't think. I mean, the world we we knew is sort of done. Is that good? I mean, there's I don't a, know. Are we? Are we? Don't you don't know yet. You're just, but change is always scary. The the players that you mentioned, they're scary for sure. The people that you know, like the World Bank and the IMF and uh, the European Union, they maybe they're well intentioned. Some of them are not. I'm sure. I think the European Union, in many regards, it's a multifaceted organization. I can't, with one statement, uh, identify and analyze and judge it. But I'm sure there are many. Uh, good people in the UN uh, organization, though it's not working well, it seems, especially with the Bre- Brexit situation. Um, but a lot of the players are a bit scary, it seems. So if they're the ones making the decisions or directing this ship, so to speak, it, it, it is unnerving, to say the least. I think, I think only conspiracy theorists believe that there's actually somebody controlling what's going on. You say there's good people, okay, fair enough. Um, but you know, the, the world is so complex, real power players, uh, positions of power, particularly in jurisprudence and, and major corporations and in, in law enforcement, and the military tend to attract uh, high functioning sociopaths. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. So we we tend to end up being led by the worst among us, you know, and we've had this conversation before. I'm sure it's a theme I hit a lot. Really. Listen, man, I've started calling uh, the modern world universe 26. And there's a specific reason for that. Now, do you, have you ever heard first of all of universe 25? Uh, I spent a, uh, a week there once. <laughs> okay. That would mean you, you would have to either be a behavioral scientist or a mouse because universe 25 was a mouse colony. Um, in the late sixties, all right. For decades, there was this guy, John Calhoun. He, he did all these experiments and they, they, they're really fascinating. Uh, if you've ever heard of the term behavioral sync, yep. which describe, yeah, our, which sort of describes our times, it, it, it comes from his work. So um, he had done experiments on rodents for years trying to uh, see what sort of society was optimal for rodents, you know. And so he did it with rats. He did it with mice. And in early versions, he would get like 500 of them. And, you know, provide these big enclosures. And the behavioral sync was this thing that happened whenever they overpopulated, even though they would have a lot of space that would be provided by their these massive enclosures. When when they began to overpopulate, they would actually crowd together and social structure would break down, which is kind of scary because you'll notice that rural areas are disappearing. You know, um, if you look at Europe from space, it looks like a single metropole, like a like a giant city, because everything is is concentrated electric grids, and I, the zoning laws out here uh, favor less and less living independently in the country, which is what I do. And you know, this is what the yellow vest revolts are about as well. It was a fuel tax. It hurts people that live outside the cities a lot more because you have to drive to get around. 
Well, hold on one second. I mean, I, I, you're you're prompting in me uh, some, I guess, information that I've I've uh, come across over the last few years, where it seems there's a tendency worldwide for more and more people to go to urban areas and move out of the rural uh, areas. So, is, is that kind of what you're saying, or are you saying rural areas are being overtaken? No, 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 no. What, what you're saying, actually, we're overpopulating and crushing into the cities, which is similar to what happened with these rodent populations. You might be aware of this. Sometime in the mid-2000s, like 2005 or six, for the first time in human history, the global population of people living in urban areas finally outnumbered, became the majority, yeah. as opposed to living in the country. That yeah. has never yeah. been the case in human history until within the last decade, decade and a half, right? So Universe 25 was his like ultimate experiment in the late 60s after a few decades of doing, you know, coming up with the term behavioral sync. And uh, Universe 25 was actually a mouse utopia that he built. I think it was in Maryland. And he started with like four like genetically healthy, like perfect uh, pairs, male and female, of mice. So there were eight mice in the beginning that were ultimately healthy. And I think it grew to 620 members within the, the space of a few months because, you know, mice, they breed pretty quickly. Um, but they had lots of space with like tunnels and uh, open enclosures and, and uh, clean bedding, all the food they wanted. Right. And I think it went like a, something like a month and a half or two months and population growth started to slow really quickly. And even though they were provided with everything. So if you can imagine the, the rodent image of a technologically perfect society with all that you can eat or drink, everything you need, uh, the males lost interest in mating, as did the females. The males sort of would form little gangs and random violence would break out among them. The females began abandoning their young or even attacking them. Uh, you know, there, there was violence and mice began killing and eating one another, despite the fact that there was abundant free food, right? Yeah. So... Are you seeing parallels with humans? Well, isn't this what we're talking about? You know, yeah. and so it, it's... But there's a lot of, a lot of interesting thing hap things happen. For instance, all right. Uh, you would get like 50 mice that would form a, a, form a sort of uh, like mini, like a tribe within a tribe, I guess. They would crowd into a space that was meant for like 15 mice uh, into these little enclosures that were supposed to be basically like little family enclosures where, you know, the young and the mother and the father would be. And you would have a bunch of similar enclosures, the same size, completely empty all around them. And they would all crowd into this one. That was one thing. So you had these. You know, if you can picture the population of, of, of you know, Mumbai or, or like some really poor city in India or in in, uh, in the slums, it, it was something – it's a rodent equivalent of that. And now get this. There were certain mice. There were these upper levels because it, it wasn't just horizontally spread out, this giant enclosure. It was all – it had all sorts of levels and tunnels and you could go up and down. And on the very upper tiers – there was this small group of male and females that isolated themselves way up above the fray. Hmm. So let's say you know, like a 1% of the whole population. Whoa. And they would just groom themselves 
They lost any interest in like social bonds or mating. They didn't really interact anymore. They just made themselves pretty. And so the scientists actually called them the beautiful ones, right? <laughs> so this thing went on, uh, like, I think it lasted maybe two years and all, you know, like the population started, stopped growing after like two months, maybe. And then I forget at what point it started to decline. And, but even as a population, you know, things got super chaotic with everything I've just described and the population began to fall back toward levels where they had been thriving before, like down to like 600 mice where before they had been, you know, the population doing well, everybody doing great. They had their little utopia. Even when they got back to those numbers, they didn't go back to their old ways. They, they didn't thrive anymore. They just continued to degenerate. And by the end of about two and a half, three years, I'm guessing, they were all dead. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So they just, yeah. they, they morphed into something terrible once they had abundance. Yes. About a particular type of abundance. Now, tell me this, EW. Would it surprise you if I told you that there's a happy ending to this story? Well, it depends on how you define happy. But uh, yeah, based on what I think uh, you and I believe happy is, sure, I would be surprised. You make a very good point. I shouldn't say happy. Let me rephrase that. Would it surprise you if I said there's a cautiously optimistic end to this tale? Uh, okay, the Universe 25 experiment and like the term behavioral sync, like that's what's sort of known by people that, that know anything about his work at all, right? But he kept going. Uh, that Calhoun. We're talking about Calhoun. Calhoun. Yeah, Calhoun kept going. He kept experimenting afterwards. Universe 25 was a huge failure, but he kept going. And he did achieve limited success with later rodent communities. What and, was he trying to achieve, JQ? Well, why do we always study mice? To find out a better way for ourselves, I guess. Why do we give rats drugs and medications? And yeah, because they're genetically similar enough to us that it matters. And as well, the you know, rat populations, mice populations. It, it's another reason we've begun to study crows a lot more. Crows uh, have incredibly complex and very human-like social structures. And in a lot of ways, they're more like us than chimpanzees. Uh, crows are super intelligent as well. So there's a lot of interesting research there. But this is important. This is the point I want to get to. The key to creating more successful versions of this society later was very simple. And it's something you and I have talked about in practically every podcast interview that we've done together because it's the core of my life. It was creativity. He introduced creativity into the mice colonies. Now, that was the main theme. And he managed to stabilize the problem. Now, obviously, human societies are way more complex than a mice colony, right? We already have a great deal of – we're naturally more creative creatures than pretty much any other creature on earth. We're sort of crazy with it. But when you begin to see those sorts of problems menacing your society where you have the 1% of the beautiful people that are completely detached and, and it, you know, they're, they're, there's nothing but the beautiful people and masses of poor people huddling together in these overcrowded urban enclosures, let's say – and forming gangs and constantly fighting and uh, their, 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 their population begins to plummet because nobody really cares about mating anymore or, or, well, cares about raising the young or taking care of them and, you know, living healthy lives. You introduce creativity and that seems to be a remedy. Well, 
Excellent. I mean, <laughs> that makes sense to me. And so if, if the creative class, and that has been a, a phrase coined, and uh, there have been books written about the creative class and how it, it is a benefit of a benefit to society. And I'm sure this is a, that is a spinoff of what Calhoun found. Um, so if we do have a creative class, though, and then they become the elite, do you presume that they then will become behave like the so-called beautiful people rats? Well, Are what beautiful you, ones? No, what do I, it depends. What do you mean by a creative class? Well, the creative class, uh, there was a book, I can't remember the author now, I apologize to uh, he or she, uh, but it was a book that came out right around, uh, it, has, it basically says that cities, uh, societies in general should make certain they have a significant creative class that is supported and has an opportunity to to share what it has to offer because it, it it'll generate a lot of energy which which transforms itself into economic and and societal you know health and stability. All right. Well, uh, that sounds fine. I mean, we uh, you know you have the cafes and you have the art galleries and you have the clubs. Oh, okay. and the, yeah, oh. yeah. So he was basically defending sort of classic European culture, which. You know, I mean, why is France the most touristic country on the planet by by an order of magnitude? It's because it was a, it was an extremely creative society. Therefore, the architecture, the churches, the villages are beautiful. The museums are unbelievable. The food and drink is highly creative. They're they're insane about it, and this attracts people. So it creates an economic value in the long run, even though it doesn't necessarily at the time have a direct practical purpose. It also created the reputation of France. The fact that it was you know, a, a home of the arts, that Paris, uh, even its its royalty and, and the tradition of the Mécène, which was basically rich people giving money to support culture uh, and just keep artists and poets and painters and so on and composers alive and thriving and working. Uh, all, the fact that all of that existed made the reputation of France as well um, and of Europe in general. And all of the high cultures that have existed throughout the history of humanity that impress us have done that, whether it's Greece, ancient India, and classical India in particular, you know, or Europe. Now, the problem with our modern age is that what we do is we have tons of creativity. That's never at a loss. It, it's, a, it's an inexhaustible human resource. We just have that. But if we turn it to totally toward the profit motive and don't allow it to be impractical anymore, and if there's no more social place, and I think this is what the book you were mentioning was trying to get at. Yeah, by the way, that book is The Rise of the Creative Class by Richard Florida. And I was a bit off by the year. Uh, it was it was actually the early aughts, the 2000s, 2002 it was uh, published. Uh, so, yeah, Richard Florida, The Rise of the Creative Class is the book I'm talking about. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, I obviously I don't know the book. Uh, Richard Ford is also the name of a novelist. That that would Florida, be no Florida. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, Florida. Okay, no, I don't know who that is, but uh, it sounds like he's getting at that sort of thing. Um, yeah, and I that think is, so. I think so. It's a huge problem we face today. You know uh, that we we speak of the music industry or the 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 book industry, and it's always the industry that takes control, and we've lost the sort of equilibrium that once existed between entertainment and art and we don't know which is which anymore and you know there's a problem with that if you combine that with a technological age where you have to communicate in 45 characters or less and we're raising generations that have a fractured consciousness because of 
you know, not reading books, but only engaging in a cell phone, they're going to find ways to be creative and intelligent with it. That I'm not worried about, but it certainly is a sort of handicap when you do not have time either for long reflective thought, okay, that can create right. a lot of anxiety and mental problems, or right. you don't have the capacity to have patience to sort of ingest and take in and engage with forms of art and culture and expression that are patient and slow. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. And that, yeah, you're right. You have to read a novel. You have to hold it in your hand. You can't just be tweeting or reading short bursts of ideas. It's got to be the grand, you know, sort of uh, commitment to war and peace or what have you. But but I want to I I diverge a bit because okay. the, the, the higher power, you know, that rules how we exist whether it be economics, whether it be uh, intellectualism or art or community uh, activism, whatever it might be, do you believe there's a higher power still, you know, that is pulling the strings, that is shuffling around uh, the, uh, the parts and the pieces and the people? Do you believe in God? <laughs> All right. Yeah. So we're just going to try to cut away from all that and get into some non-trivial questions um, or into some trivial questions, depending on your point of view. Do I believe in God? I believe very firmly in what the scientists call the hard problem of consciousness. So uh, are you familiar with the hard with, with consciousness being called the hard problem in sciences? I don't, it doesn't mean just, oh, that's a really hard problem. That's an actual term. I am familiar with it, but I'm not an expert. All right. Well, me neither. But it basically means that uh, our highest knowledge, you know, even if you're an absolute atheistic scientific materialist, right, philosophically, and you only believe in matter and science and the scientific method and Occam's razor, uh, you cannot study consciousness, the obvious, uh, which which is an obvious um, – foundational or a touchstone of our, our entire reality and all of our experience, you can't study it because the only tool you can use to study it is consciousness itself. Consciousness is subjective. Uh, it is, uh, the, the term they use is qualia. In other words, it's, it's qualitative, not quantitative. You can't quantify it. So how can you study it? How can it study itself? This and is what you people do all the time when I ask you about God. You start talking, oh. this mumbo jumbo confuses <laughs> me and you don't have an answer. So you just don't. So there must be a God. Have you accepted Jesus into your heart? Watch it. <laughs> uh, well, not into my heart, darling, but I can tell you some stories. All right. No, listen. You mean? Uh, yes. All right. I'm going to surprise you. Yes, I actually do believe in God. And, what? Uh, yeah. No, no, no. I do. I do. Uh, but here's the thing about belief. Faith. Faith is uh, anti-knowledge. If you know something, you can't have faith in it. As soon as you say, I know there's a God, because that's what people usually mean. They say, I believe in God. They mean to say, I'm convinced there's a God. But the fact is, you're saying you have faith, which is saying you don't know. I believe in God. You know, I certainly don't believe in the God of any of, uh, of, any of the organized religions or of the New Age people with their crystals and their chakras and their mumbo jumbo. 
I do believe there are there are incredible depths in the spiritual wisdom of our great theologians, whether it's the Christian tradition, or uh, certainly I've read quite a lot of the Indian spiritual masters, the the you know the big shot ones like Sri Aurobindo and Vivekananda and uh, Sri um, oh what's his name Ramana Maharshi and those types, and so you know God is what surpasses the limits of our own human consciousness the Tao yeah if you will I believe in the Tao if you want to put it that way um, I, I I have faith that we're not the end and measure of all things that man is actually not the measure of all things that there is something beyond us now does our individual human consciousness have any part in that greater reality I don't know you know, if or does the soul survive the? What is a soul? I have never held one in my hand. Do I have one? Is my mind simply the product of matter? It could be. I don't know, but I have faith. Means I have a sort of basic childish optimism about existence that it was not designed to trick me or crush me, and that if we are born into this world, it is not to solve. The problems of this world, which are insoluble with our limited little tiny ape minds, you know, uh, but simply to confront them sort of. Uh, are you uh, calling me an ape? Yes. Yes, I am. I, I don't know how you managed to see through all that to the heart of the matter. But yes, you're an ape. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love talking with you jq and we have several more minutes and i you have so much to say 25 to 30 minutes is not enough time i know but i I, it's my responsibility and my challenge to try to you know cover as many areas as we can and keep a thread throughout the discourse i am gonna now i shift you to this it's kind of related um how do you know when justice has occurred oh how do i know personally yes yeah or anyone from your perspective, of course, ape head, ape mind, ape man. I know that justice has occurred when I get what I want. I have, I actually. I <laughs> that's cannot. that's true. That's probably truer than than you would like to admit. <laughs> I think that's generally how we determine our ideas of justice, and then we dress it up with flowery language and ideas to hide that fact from ourselves <laughs> later on. You know. Uh, I mean, that, that, that certainly applies in interpersonal relationships, you know, um, I've seen it too many times, uh, people tend to mainly justify their own behavior. And how do I know when I am not doing the exact same thing that I so commonly observe in even the people that are closest to me and that I care about the most when I see them being absolute hypocrites and fools and not seeing through their own lies? Well, How do you, I, you, I'm not doing the same thing. I, you, I don't. you talked about it a few moments ago. It's a subject, subjective, you know. It's the hard problem of consciousness. That's God sneaking up on us again. The son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, he, but you know, uh, it, it. Nonetheless, though, it is maybe pointless to even talk about this because our existence, perhaps as individuals and as a species, is insignificant in the grand scheme of things. It keeps, you know. It, 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 it keeps things interesting as we pass time, I suppose, right? Or it keeps us feeling like we're, we're, we are some, something of, of importance. Uh, I guess we need that. 
Can I tell you about the great fear that seizes my entire being at this precise moment? Well, first I have a com- I have a, a commercial from uh, Bear Aspirin. To- <laughs> we'll be right back with, <laughs> with no, seizures of fear. <laughs> No, go ahead. Yeah. Please do. Please do share. My, my fear is that this entire conversation that we're having right now sounds to an outside observer like something two stoned teenagers, you know, in a Buick listening to a cassette tape of Santana's Abraxas would be saying to each other in 1986. I think we've evolved since 86. I think we use bigger words and stuff now. <laughs> Yeah, use big words and stuff. I'm an adult. <laughs> but you're right. The theme I don't the, know. the themes probably have not changed much. <laughs> no, we've probably gotten a little better at it, I I, I would hope. But yeah, it, it, it's basically the same. The same old, same old. Is you that, know, I, is that okay? I'm just trying to I'm just trying to write and record and put out a few good songs before I'm done. That's <laughs> if I can get away with that and raise my kids okay, I'm good. Well, yeah, well, you know what? You are. You're, you're absolutely right. I think that's a great way to gauge whether or not you're living a good life. And um, your priorities sound excellent as well, JQ. Now, you're giving us, as you always do, every time you're featured on Troubadours and Rock On Tour, some music to share with the listeners. This time yeah. around, though, it's something that you had a hand in uh, creating and producing, but you're not singing or performing, right? Is that true? I am, I am performing. Uh, I'm, I play guitar on, on the track that I, that you're going to play now. Um, but uh, on the cello is a friend of mine who also played on my Hobo Mojo album when I had uh, the band JQ Public available on iTunes. Um, she's playing cello and the singing and all, uh, half of the singing on my, the next record I'm going to put out uh, is uh, done by Fran Ray. Um, I have an entire album of songs sort of about the dark side of relationships. Uh, the album is, is right now, the working title is Demon Love Took Me Down. And uh, Fran is a wonderful soul singer, and we wanted to work together. I worked with her, her boyfriend, Limmy, who's this uh, blind, black, multi-instrumentalist. He was in my band for a while. He's also going to be playing on this album and helped with it a lot. And uh, there's a second album. I have Fran coming in here on Monday to record, and there's a whole second album of material that's being worked out at the same time. But this particular song, The Game, uh, yeah, it's Fran singing, and she did a a marvelous job. Um, We had to change key so she could do it, and I heard her doing it, and I said, there's no way I'm singing this. I altered the lyrics very slightly so it could be a woman singing the narrator's part rather than a man. And... And that was it. It was well, ready to go. That's excellent. Thank you for the for the segue for, into the into the song again. It's called the game. Yeah, and oh, a quick shout out to Fran and a plug for her. Fran Ray, uh, her last album is called Scarlet and Black. And if you just look it up on the internet and find it, it's a album of sort of soul and R and B. And she's got a major pair of pipes, and she's a marvelous singer and artist. How do you spell her last name? R A Y. Fran Ray. J Q. Our resident cultural critic and uh, global hobo, good friend and artist. So, so wonderful having you on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Uh, enjoy yourself in the south of France, and uh, we'll be talking with you again very soon. Thanks, EW. It's always great to chew the fat with you, man. Hang loose. Ciao. So here we are. I guess it's high time we got down to Fortune, son. 
taught me well to hide the tell and let the pain show through. Kafka, titled The News of the Building of the Wall, a Fragment. The news of the building of the wall now penetrated into this world late, too, some 30 years after its announcement. It was on a summer evening. I, 10 years old, was standing with my father on the riverbank. In keeping with the importance of this much-discussed hour, I can recall the smallest details. My father was holding me by the hand, something he was fond of doing to the end of his days, and running his other hand up and down his long, very thin pipe as though it were a flute. With his sparse, rigid beard raised in the air, he was enjoying his pipe while gazing upwards across the river. 
As a result, his pigtail, object of the children's veneration, sank lower, rustling faintly on the gold-embroidered silk of his holiday gown. At that moment, a bark drew up before us. The boatman beckoned to my father to come down the embankment, while he himself climbed up toward him. They met halfway. The boatman whispered something in my father's ear. In order to come quite close, he had embraced him. I could not understand what they said. I only saw that my father did not seem to believe the news, that the boatman tried to insist upon its truth, that when my father still refused to believe it, the boatman, with the passion of sailors, almost tore the garment from his chest to prove the truth. Whereupon my father fell silent, and the boatman jumped noisily into the bark and sailed away. Deep in thought, my father turned toward me, knocked his pipe out and stuck it in his belt, stroked my cheek and pulled my head toward him. This is what I liked best. It made me very happy. And so we came home. There, the rice pap was already steaming on the table. Several guests had assembled. The wine was just being poured into the goblets. Paying no attention to any of this and having advanced no farther than the threshold, my father started telling what he had heard. Of the exact words, I have, of course, no recollection, but owing to the exceptional circumstances which cast a spell even over the child, the meaning became so clear to me that I venture nevertheless to give some version of what my father said. I am doing so because it was very characteristic of the popular point of view. My father said something like this, An unknown boatman, I know all those who usually pass by here, but this one was a stranger, has just told me that a great wall is going to be built to protect the emperor. For it seems that infidel tribes, among them demons, often assemble before the imperial palace and shoot their black arrows at the emperor. And now an excerpt from a report to an academy. Honored members of the academy, you have done me the honor of inviting me to give your academy an account of the life I formerly led as an ape. I regret that I cannot comply with your request to the extent you desire. It is now nearly five years since I was an ape, a short span of time, perhaps, according to the calendar, but an infinitely long time to gallop through at full speed, as I have done, more or less accompanied by excellent mentors, good advice, applause, and orchestral music, and yet essentially alone, since all my escorters, to keep the image, kept well off the course. I could never have achieved what I have done had I been stubbornly set on clinging to my origins, to the remembrances of my youth. In fact, to give up being stubborn was the supreme commandment I laid upon myself. Free ape as I was, I submitted myself to that yoke. In revenge, however, my memory of the past has closed the door against me more and more. I could have returned at first, had human beings allowed it, through an archway as wide as the span of heaven over the earth. But as I spurred myself on in my forced career... The opening narrowed and shrank behind me. I felt more comfortable in the world of men and fitted it better. The strong wind that blew after me out of my past began to slacken. 
Today it is only a gentle puff of air that plays around my heels. And the opening in the distance through which it comes and through which I once came myself has grown so small that even in my strength and my willpower sufficed to get me back to it, I should have to scrape the very skin from my body to crawl through. To put it plainly, much as I like expressing myself in images, to put it plainly, your life as apes, gentlemen, insofar as something of that kind lies behind you, cannot be farther removed from you than mine is from me. Yet everyone on earth feels a tickling at the heels, the small chimpanzee and the great Achilles alike. An excerpt from a piece written for the New Yorker by Francisco Cantu, titled Boundary Conditions, What Happens When the American Frontier Becomes a Wall. On Election Day 2018, residents of Nogales, Arizona, began to notice a single row of coiled razor wire growing across the top of the city's border wall. The barrier has been a stark feature of the town's urban landscape for more than 20 years, rolling up and over hilltops as it cleaves the American town from its larger Mexican counterpart. But in the weeks and months that followed, additional coils were gradually installed along the length of the fence by active-duty troops sent to the border by President Trump, giving residents the sense that they were living inside an occupied city. By February, Constantina wire covered the wall from top to bottom, and the Nogales City Council passed a unanimous resolution calling for its removal. Such wire has only one purpose, the resolution declared, to harm or to kill. It is something, quote, only found in a war, prison, or battle setting. I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning, and I'd hammer in the evening, I'd open this veil, I'd hammer out danger, I'd hammer out wounded, I'd hammer out love between my brothers and my sisters, all over the place. If I had a bell, I'd bring it in the morning. Success. 
sweetheart deals and middle-aged men out of work, pushing hand trucks part-time, having gave up the success climb, which perhaps is the real success, and a happiness in moments extending more so each day is the way, despite the crab bucket clamoring of the discontented fray, here to play. Namaste. Episode 311 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks that made this episode possible. First and foremost, our resident cultural critic, artist Global Hobo JQ. I'd like to thank Franz Kafka and Francisco Cantu as well as these musical artists, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Lily Allen, Mick Jones, Nirvana, Fran Ray, Mickey Lee, Susto, 
Terence Blanchard, of course, and Brantford Marsalis, too. It's so nice to have you with us. Really appreciate you tuning in. Until next week, let's give it a go and try to enjoy this one. Take care.